there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. We are going to continue our series today on Now Is The Time. Whenever I hear that, I hear the song, the vineyard song, Come, now is the time. We should bring that back. Sam, you're listening. There's a, there's a way in there. We could brand the whole service. Good old vineyard. Anyway, we're going to continue our series. And you'd think that we planned it, because actually the message today is all about stories. So thank you, Mike, for sharing your wonderful story. And, and the guys in the previous weeks and the girls that have shared, it's been so encouraging hearing them. Because I don't know about you, but I love a story. I love an autobiography, actually. It's a good old... If you ever want to buy me a Christmas present, the latest autobiography from who I know... Whichever celebrity really will do me. I love them. I love, or a documentary about someone's life. I've, I love, yeah, as you well know, so what you don't know, I love The Crown. It's about six weeks till series five. I can't wait. I know it's not based on real life, but it kind of is based on real life. There are, there are some historical accuracies in it. I love it. I love to hear the inside story, even though in The Crown none of them are real. But a film based on a real life story is just my cup of tea. I think it's because I'm nosy, but I just like to hear a life story. Desert Island Discs is my go-to running podcast. I know that ages me dramatically, but now you can get it as a podcast. It makes it a bit younger, I think. You don't have to tune into Radio 4. Not that there's anything wrong with Radio 4. Clever people listen to it. So if you're one of them, good for you. But I love Desert Island Discs. You get to hear people's life stories and, and what they were like when they were growing up and how life has shaped them. I think it's fascinating. And films too. I love a biopic, a music biopic or a sport biopic. Eddie the Eagle, Rocket Man, because I think Taron Egerton is the second most beautiful man on earth. <laughs> um, Bohemian Rhapsody, films about people that you know but you don't know enough about them and it tells you their background, their backstory. Even if it's dramatic, exaggerated for dramatic effect, there's something really fascinating about hearing someone's story. It makes you warm to them more, I'm convinced of that, because you know more about their past and what's happened to them how they've overcome things, how they've changed and grown and learned from life. Because a person's story is powerful. There is something fascinating about someone else's story, about hearing um, their real-life experiences, especially if it's someone who you think's got it all sorted out and you realise, actually, oh, they're, they're normal just like I am. And I love that. And I think in our culture, it's particularly true that we like stories, that they're powerful. My background is in academia, a bit like Peter. I was a lecturer for over a decade. I really was a lecturer. I wasn't a, quite a doctor. I know MA, but not quite a doctor. I didn't get the PhD in the end. Monday, maybe. Um, but I did a lot of research and teaching into kind of cultural theory and media. That was my thing. And what um, most sociologists and cultural analysts that I studied agree on is that we're living in what they call an age of uncertainty or ambiguity. It kind of permeates our culture, the culture that we live in today. There's very little that unites us all together. Mike was talking about how, you know, Britain used to be this Christian country, even if it was just nominally. There was that kind of general uniting identity, albeit if it was just um, in, in hearsay, it was still there. But nowadays, that's, not, that's just not the case. That's just not the life that, the culture that we live in and the life that most of us live. There's lots of, lots of different views on religion and politics and morality and identity. There's so many subcultures and different ways of viewing the world. And in that kind of world where there's such a lack of certainty, 
people are, sociologists would argue people are searching for authenticity. And this has been proven time and again by social researchers and ethnographers. People want to hear something real. People are interested in hearing about the real-life stories of others, about how other people are making their way in this fluid and uncertain world. So the title of today's message is, What's Your Story? Because it's not just the autobiographies or the films that we watch that have got stories in them. You have one too, and so do I. So what's your story? Because your story matters. Your story matters because your story is real. Your story is authentic. And there's nothing more authentic than the proof of Jesus living in you and changing you. Just realize I haven't pressed stop on the stopwatch, and that's not a bad, that's not a bad uh, a great start. There we go. <laughs> Keeps me accountable. There's nothing more authentic than Jesus living in you, changing you, and other people noticing the change. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament of the Bible, he, before he was a preacher, he was a zealous murderer. You can read his story in the book of Acts. I'm reading through the book of Acts in a minute. It's fascinating. And uh, he was a, a zealous murderer turned evangelist. And his story is a man whose story helped lead thousands of people to Jesus. Millions, if you think about all the people who've read the things he's written as a result of his faith. A man who used to live one way and then was dramatically changed by Jesus to become someone completely different, an apostle to the nations. And this guy, this apostle Paul, famously wrote these words in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And this is what he said. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Not Christ in the pastor or the preacher. Christ in you gives hope to others. So I want to remind you of two things today that hopefully will encourage you. Number one, your story is worth sharing. And number two, don't be afraid to share it. That's all we're going to talk about today, just those two things. Your story is worth sharing, so don't be afraid to share it. So first of all, the first one, your story is worth sharing. Every one of you, like I said, sat here today, has a story of God working in your lives, whether you've been a Christian since 1999, whether you've been a Christian since 1899, whether you've been a Christian two minutes or whether you're still not quite sure where you are yet, every one of us has got a story that is being written. All of you are already incredibly unique and going against a massive flow. I don't know if you realize that because most people don't have that story. Most people are not aware of the story that God's writing for them. We are the minority now as Christians. A few weeks ago when Pete started this uh, preach series off, he talked about some statistics about the world that we live in, about the number of people that would now say that they don't have any faith or any, any belief in God. And actually, he concluded that we've, we basically live in, particularly for the next generation, in a pr the first pre-Christian um, world since the time of Christ. People don't have any kind of awareness. They don't, they're not taught the things in school anymore, like Mike was saying. We don't sing the songs in school. We don't send our kids to Sunday school so we can have a break on a Sunday afternoon, which is why I was sent. Um, bless my mom. We don't have that anymore. So most people don't have a story of God moving in their lives. They don't even know that he cares for them and can move in their lives. But you know it. And because you know it, they could know it. <laughs> 
hearing your story might just be the catalyst for some of them to start their own. Because it was for me. And I'm pretty sure it was for every single one of you too. Someone, somewhere, invited you to church or gave you a book or prayed for you or smuggled a Bible into your room or who knows what the stories are in this room, but all of us were impacted by someone else telling us. All of us. And when you read through the Gospels, I think you begin to see why Jesus knew this too. He knew how powerful our stories are because he didn't actually spend all of his time preaching to the crowds or visiting the synagogues. There's many, many accounts of him personally encountering people and talking about their lives with them, giving them a story to tell others about how he's impacted them. And one of the most famous of these encounters we're going to study today, and it's found in the chapter four of the book of John, that lovely gospel that Mike read all those years ago. It's about a story about a woman who, through an encounter with Jesus, learned that she was loved by God and had a story worth sharing. Now, it's a very, very long piece of scripture, so I've paraphrased it. I don't mean I've added bits in, I've just not put all the verses on the screen. So if you're following me through in your Bible and you think she's missed a bit, I know I have. Okay, I've picked out the bits relevant to this part of the story, but it's well worth reading the whole thing, but we would be here a long time if I did. So this is a paraphrase of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. This is in John chapter 4. And I'm going to do my best to read it and not mess up the um, Jewish words in it, but people will correct me if I do. Um, So here we go. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Sychar. I believe you, you, that could be absolute nonsense and you're just giving me there, is it? (laughs) I can do a really good job of that today as well. (coughs) So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near to the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, hot. It was hot, that's the important part of the story, we'll come to that. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They hated each other. They didn't just not associate. They loathed the sight of each other. Think Albion Wolves fans times a gazillion with some political angst and religious history thrown in. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I love that. I love that he's given her this massive theological revelation and she's like, this will save me my legs. Give me a drink. Bless her. Um, He told her, go and call your husband back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. The time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Incidentally, that's the very first time in the whole of the Bible that Jesus actually says to anyone that he's the Messiah. He chooses a female social outcast to hear it first. Oh, I love that. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Well, they would be. We'll look at that in a second too. But no one asked, what do you want or what are you talking with her for? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Well done for sticking with me through what is quite a long piece of the Bible. It's actually wrecked my throat reading it. (coughs) Right. It's an amazing story with so much in it. But we're going to focus on Jesus' treatment of the woman herself, okay? Because his treatment of her is actually what crafted her story. That's what gave her the story to begin with, the way that he treated her. Because the way he treated her is absolutely astounding. It was against all social custom of the day for a Jewish man to be speaking to any Samaritan, let alone a woman. She even points it out to him, kind of, what are you talking to me for? Do you not realise who I am and who you are? Yeah, he doesn't just talk to her or engage her uh, and ask her for a drink. He actually engages with her in a conversation, like a theological study almost. And he shows her beyond that, without a shadow of a doubt, he knows all about her. He knows what's happened to her. He knows what kind of life she's living right now. He knows everything. He knows her story thus far. The next slide, he says, he told her, go and call your husband back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. I wonder what she was thinking when Jesus said that to her. If it were me, I'd be thinking one word and one word alone. Busted. Oh my gosh, this religious teacher knows exactly who I am and what I've done. And what I've done ain't good. Busted. He knows I've screwed my life up and now he's going to drag me over the coals for it. That's what I'd be thinking. But she doesn't do that. And if we study the cultural context of their conversation, I think we begin to see why her reaction isn't one of kind of hanging her head in shame and instead her reaction is one to go and tell the whole world what happens to her. Now Israel at this time, it wasn't a very inclusive environment. Okay, there weren't, you know, a split of women to men on the the board of Jesus. (laughs) There was, there, was, there was no equality at all between the sexes. It was very sexist and very patriarchal as a society. Any woman, any woman was a second-class citizen, not just one just like her. Women weren't allowed into the temple at all, Jewish women, except in a special women's court at the very back. They had to be completely veiled, almost hidden. Think, um, think Afghanistan in 2022, and you start to get a picture of what it was like to live in first century Palestine, which makes it even more tragic that it's still happening in in Afghanistan in 2022, doesn't it? But anyway, we digress. 
Women weren't allowed to be out in public without their husband with them generally. Um, and if they were out in public, they weren't allowed to converse with men publicly. Uh, they were probably illiterate, most of them, because they weren't taught to read, because they weren't allowed to read the scriptures, and that's generally the only reason most boys were taught to read. They were basically confined to the home, unless they were so poor that they had to work, and if that was the case, there was no welfare system to look after them, so most of the jobs they had to do were pretty dodgy. That's what it was like to be a woman in first century Palestine. And here's Jesus, not only showing his respect to the woman by discussing her questions about the Bible and, and engaging her in a conversation, but he also makes it clear that he knows her personally already. In a society that locked its women away from public view and where a woman's whole life was hidden, Jesus shows her that there's nothing hidden from him. He sees her, he accepts her, and he loves her. Now, different traditions, they speculate as to why she was out at the well on her own at this time of day. Most conservative interpretations of this kind of verse think that she must have been a prostitute because she had no husband and she's out on her own. She's avoiding all the scrutiny of the people in her town by collecting water at the hottest point of the day when no one else would go out that time of day. It was too hot, you'd burn. But actually, the verse doesn't, doesn't say that she is. It doesn't actually hint that she is at all. And Jesus never asked her to repent or seek forgiveness for it. So it, maybe she wasn't. Maybe she'd been widowed or abandoned or divorced five times. It, whatever the situation, all three were horrific for a woman to go through, actually at any time in the world, let alone then. Whatever happened to her to get her to this point in life, her past and therefore her present appears to be one of real tragedy and heartbreak. The poor, poor woman. And Jesus knows all about it. And her response to this is absolutely amazing because she doesn't ask for forgiveness. She doesn't try to explain it all away. It wasn't my fault. I mean, I had to marry my brother's husband's brother and, and then I had to have his kids and then not my, and then he died. And she doesn't do any of that. She doesn't try and brush it under the carpet. Instead, she comes to faith. She says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. The word, that, that word to see in the, in the Gospel of John is often connected to belief. So what she's saying is, when, I, when she says, I see you're a prophet, she's making a confession of faith in direct response to the fact that Jesus knows who she is. She sees him for who he, he is because Jesus has seen her for who she is. He's recognized her. He's spoken with her. He's offered her something of incomparable worth to what she's ever heard of before. He's seen her. She has value. She has significance. And all of this treatment is stuff that she's completely unaccustomed to. He's made it clear that he knows all about her shady past and the things she's done. And he still welcomes her into the truth of his kingdom. He gives her a fresh start and he gives her a story to tell. There is a room full of people right now looking at me with a story like that to tell. It might not be as dramatic or as heartbreaking as hers, but it's, it's nonetheless just as real and just as authentic. I was once like this, but because of Jesus, now I'm like this. So what's your story? It might be something like this. I used to struggle with my anger, but Jesus has helped me to lighten up. I used to think that because of my past, I was completely unlovable, but Jesus accepted me, and now I know that I'm loved. It might be, I used to visit psychics to help me know what the future was going to contain, but then I met Jesus and I learned that God's got a future for me, and he's good. 
I used to worry constantly about money. But now I happily give my money to people that need it more than me because I know that Jesus is my provider. I used to depend on drugs. Now I depend on God. I used to think church was boring and something my parents dragged me to. But then I was filled with the Holy Spirit at a youth camp. And then I got baptized. And now my friends are coming to church with me. And they're all sat in the front row over there. I used to be afraid to leave the house and then I met Jesus and he's given me a whole new family of fellowship of believers that I now belong to. We heard those, those last two stories, we heard them at the baptism service, right? That's really happened in our town today. A room full of stories that need to be told. The woman at the well, she was just like us. Her story is one of what happens when Jesus sees us and invites us to see him and believe in him in return. And her story changed the lives of many, many people in her town. Listen to what the scripture says. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man, come and see a man. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Your story can have exactly the same impact on your community, on your colleagues, on your family, on your friends, on your spouse. Debs did when Holy Rachel popped into the world. I'd love to know what it was about Deb that convinced you so instantly that Jesus was real, but crikey, I'm glad she's the pastor's wife. Oh! <laughs> um, your story can have the same impact on those around you, and but that in itself creates a new challenge and brings me to the second point. You need to share your story. So don't be afraid to share it. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You have a story to tell of how Jesus has changed you. But don't hide it. <laughs> be open about it. Remove the bowl. You need to remove the bowl. We all do. You need to let the light and hope in our story shine. Let it give light to others and hope to others in this dark, dark world that we're living in. Be authentic. Be genuine. Be open and vulnerable. Allow the Lord to move in the lives of those around you when you share your story with them. And I know, I know, I get it. That's hard. It's actually, it's really hard in the digital age that we live in. Social media is just, I hate it. And I have to use it for a living. So I'm a hypocrite because I have to stay on it and it's always on my phone, but I hate it. Because it's made it so tempting to just share the good bits. That's the whole nature of the platform. We only share the good stuff. We only post photographs of our beautiful kids playing nicely with each other or, or the lovely presents our husband and wives brought us for our anniversary or the date night we've been on. <laughs> Oh, we took a selfie in Miller and Carter last night and I looked like death that I'm not going on social media for that reason because I look like a hag. Um, we, know, we, we put on Facebook or, or Instagram about the promotion we've had or the new car we've got or our fabulous friends or how much weight we've lost that week. You know, you never show the scales after Christmas morning, do you? No, no one takes photographs of that on Boxing Day. Hashtag 20 pound gain. And before we know it, We've painted this digital picture of ourselves that's so one-sided 
and so inauthentic. It just tells half the story. No one posts the pictures of their kids when they're at each other's throats in the morning or makes comments on their husband's filthy kitchen habits. Not you. I'd say another husband, but that doesn't sound good. Um, <laughs> yeah, was a bit woman at the well. What can I say? We're, she's, my, she's my kindred spirit. Um, no one posts pictures of the detention slips their kids brought back from high school that week or the size of their credit card bill or post a selfie of what they look like first thing in the morning, you know, oh natural. We don't do that because we don't have to. We don't have to share the whole story with people, just the best bits, the highlights. And it creates this totally inauthentic, one-dimensional representation of who we are that just isn't real. And worse, it's very destructive to other people, very destructive. Statistics have proved this that despite being more connected to each other digitally than we ever have been in the history of the world, we've actually never been more alone or more neurotic. The more we see of other people's lives online, the more we can fear that we're miss missing out on something that they've got and we haven't. They're coping, I'm not coping. They're thriving, I'm not thriving. When in reality, the life they're showing of us is only half the story. As Christians, we have got to challenge that hideous part of our culture. It's not good. It's not good. I don't, if it makes you feel good when people like your pictures, that's not good. That, that's not a good place to be, and we should not be seeking the, the attention and the affirmation of other people to make ourselves feel better. It's from the devil of hell. It's not good. And as Christians, we have to call that out. Now, I can't go and have a chat with Mark Zuckerberg, although I'd like to about the world that he's helped create and his cronies too. And I'm not suggesting that we should, you know, get on Facebook and tell everyone how disgusting, tell me what's really going on. You know, we kind. What we can do is forget social media in real life with real people. Be real. Be open. Be vulnerable. Share the whole story. We are called, this is biblical, we're called to be open about our weaknesses. The Apostle Paul tells us to rejoice in them, to rejoice in our weaknesses, to realize that it's okay to be a jar of clay. It's okay to have flaws and cracks because within that jar of clay, Jesus shines out and turns us into something beautiful that helps other people, that encourages other people. We are called to remove the bowl Turn off the filter. Stop sharing half the story. When the woman at the well went back to her village and said those infamous words, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, that took immense courage for her to do and real vulnerability. She'd spent most of her life going out of her way to avoid those people. She didn't want them to see the real her. She hid it away. She was ashamed of it. Going out to fetch water at noon proves just how much she wanted to avoid the people in her community and hide herself from them. But meeting Jesus gave her the courage to turn her shame into a story that could change those around her. And the same is true for you. Your story is powerful if you'll have the guts to share it honestly and with just a little bit of vulnerability. Sheila Wolfe, she's an evangelist, a singer, she's a writer, a very famous lady who suffered lots and lots and lots of times at points in her life with depression. She once wrote this. She said, my brokenness is a better bridge for people than my pretend wholeness ever was. 
Isn't that powerful? I can't tell you the number of people that I've spoken to who've told me how encouraged they've been by hearing my story and my journey from divorced single mother to happily married mother of two. That journey, if I hadn't told anyone about it, could never encourage anyone to think that God can turn ashes into beauty for you too. That God might have a plan B as well, just for them, like he did for me. Like I said, there's a reason why all four accounts of Jesus' um, life in the Gospels focuses overwhelmingly on his interaction with people, not primarily his theological teaching. Because Jesus was and is all about lives transformed by the power of God, lived out for all to see, and communities transformed as a result. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. So let's bring it into land, and band, you guys can come back up now. Please. As John was preaching on this series a few weeks ago, um, and if you haven't heard the previous weeks, I recommend that you log on to YouTube and, and watch them. There's been some really, really good, good teaching on this, this, this topic. But as John was preaching, I really felt God speak to me, remind me that there is, there is so much power in each of our stories, and there's stories that need to be told. The Apostle Paul, he puts it like this in Romans 10. And this is the verse that John used in his preach. Before people can ask the Lord for help, they must believe in him. Before they can believe in him, they must hear about him. And for them to hear about the Lord, someone must tell them. You don't need to be a preacher to share what Jesus has done for you. You don't need to have a massive theological understanding of the Bible. I think often we think, in our life group on Wednesday, we talked about this a bit, and we're concerned that maybe when you talk to people, they're going to try and make you argue with you about how can you prove it's true? How can that verse be in the Bible? How can you believe in God if, because of this? And, and that can then put you off from sharing because you go, well, I don't know the answers to those questions. You know, I don't know the answers to those questions either. So I don't share them. <laughs> what I do know is that I used to be like this and now I'm like this. And you can argue all you want about scriptures, but no one can prove that to be false because I'm here. Standing in front of you as the proof. That's what we mean by sharing your story. It doesn't mean preaching at people and trying to cajole them and debate with them. It's just being open and vulnerable and saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see a man that changed me from this to this. Come and see a man that delivered me from this to this. Your story is a prophetic statement for someone else's life. Revelation 19.10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. As you tell your story to someone else, as you testify what Jesus has done for you, without realizing it, you're prophesying over someone else to say, I can do it for you too. Your story tells someone else that if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. Because there's nothing special about me. Your story is a declaration of who Jesus is, what he can do, and what he's willing to do for others. And your story is a crucial part of the story of those around you. Just like the woman at the well said that day, don't be afraid to say boldly, come and see a man who changed me. Because when she did that, a whole village was changed. And who knows what and who will change when you do the same thing. So I want to just pray that God will give us some courage. Because I think that's the bottom line that all of us need to be of. You know what? The Bible's full of examples where God does give people courage. So we can pray that prayer with faith, knowing that he will, he will do it. When an opportunity arises, he'll give us the courage to take it. 
So I'm going to pray for us. And if you want to, to, to feel braver or have the guts to be a little bit more open with the people that you work with or that you live with or that you go to the school run with, maybe just pray this and agree with me as I pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a story to tell of your goodness. You've given us a story to tell of, of what you do when you come into someone's life. And I thank you for every single story in this room. Thank you for the incredible miracle that every single person is here today. And I just pray for myself and for everyone else here, Lord, that you would give us the opportunities to share our story and you'd give us the courage to share it. Give us the guts to remove the bowl, Lord, when the opportunities arise. Give us the confidence and the words to explain what it is that's different about us. Thank you that people already see it in us. God, will you give us the courage to explain it? And we pray that you use those stories to bring, bring much, much fruit for your kingdom. We really can't wait to see what you do, Lord, through us. We're so grateful that you've given us a story to tell. Please help us to let it shine. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm also aware that for some of you, uh, you might be sat here and as Mike was describing earlier, your heart's beating in your chest because you're realising actually, you're beginning to see that Jesus is starting to write a story for you and now you can look back and think, oh, I can see what he's doing here. I can see why I've come here for this point. You're here today for a reason and just like he did with the woman at the well, he knows you. He absolutely knows you I hate to say it, whether you like it or not, he knows you. He knows everything that's happened. He knows it. He gets it. He's not put off by it. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life that actually involves using what's happened and bringing it about for good. And the next step, the next chapter of your story today might be actually doing what Mike did that day and saying, okay, I can't, I'm not going to put it off any longer. I get it. I can see you're kind of on my case here. Let, all right, let's get started with this thing then. <laughs> so I want to pray for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer out loud. And if you want to pray that prayer, if you want to start your journey, if you like, your story, that next chapter of your story with Jesus today, can I encourage you to pray it with me in your hearts, just to yourself? And this is your way of saying to Jesus, okay, okay, let's start it. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. I know you know it all. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Help me to turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever and write me a story to tell. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave, but I think there's something so powerful responding to the beating in your heart at these moments, and I know every one of us can remember the time when we did that too. 
Everyone else is going to shut their eyes and not look at you. But if you have prayed that prayer, can you just look at me, make eye contact with me so that I know, and I'm going to pray a prayer for you. I won't point you out. No one will see you, I promise. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing in this place this evening. Thank you that we, for what you're doing in our lives. And we pray, Jesus, that as we, um, as we sing to you and worship you now, Lord, that you will just seal in our hearts the word that you've shared this evening and that you help us to be courageous and bold in sharing our faith, whether it's a brand new one, 15 seconds old or a lifelong one, Lord God, I pray you help us to share our story. And thank you that with you, Lord, the future is always full of hope and promise and purpose. Help us to walk into that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.